with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3. While you're turning there, you know that misery loves company, right? Misery just loves company. We like to have uh, someone else who can share our pain, at least commiserate with us for a little while. Um, But that's not where we want to stay. Misery just doesn't love company. Misery likes relief, uh, to have something or someone who can lead us out of our misery uh, and actually help us. So we're we're reminded at the end of Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus shares our human experience and he doesn't just commiserate with us, though he is a very empathetic Savior who understands our suffering. He weeps with us. He is a sure help. Um, He leads us out of the misery. He is our champion, the one who fights for us and destroys the one who yields the power uh, of death. Uh, Jesus tasted death, but it could not hold him. You and I will taste death, but united to Jesus, it will not hold us. Um, Even the very fear of death, that's been emptied of its power. So all those accusations, the accusations of the devil and the death that you deserve, they, they fall flat before the Father. Um, they hold no weight uh, before the judgment seat of God because we have a merciful and faithful high priest. Um, the faithfulness of Jesus and that, His worth really comes out uh, more here in chapter 3. So we're going to read uh, the first six verses this morning. Hebrews 3, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is God's holy and living word, a word that endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, it is a wonder that you would condescend to us and reveal your very heart to us through your word, that we might know you more, that we might love you more, that we might worship you more and be about our created purpose. And so we thank you for this word that enables us to do this. But we'll be the first to admit that we cannot understand it and apply it without your help. Um, And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illumine our hearts and minds to this word. uh, That it would be handled rightly and that we would be receptive in hearing it. And that we would take great joy and delight um, in you, our God who has given us your Son, 
are faithful, a faithful son and our high priest. It's in his name and for his sake that we pray. Amen. Well, Nathaniel and I, uh, we swung into Harbor Freight. Just a, it was a couple of weeks ago now. We went to Harbor Freight in Jacksonville. Really no intention to purchase anything. We just wanted to make sure the tools were where they needed to be and everything was okay. Um, you ladies walk into clothing stores for the same reason, right? Just make sure everything's in their proper place. And, uh, but I did want to take a look at the bench grinders. Again, just want to see what they had, what was, what was going on. It would be nice to have a bench grinder someday. And they had several options. And the first bench grinder was a pretty small, wimpy-looking bench grinder. And the description, you know, they gave a little description of the price. But then, right next to it was a much larger 6-inch grinding wheel, much heavier, a little more expensive bench grinder. And on the very top of the tag, it said, better. <laughs> and then next to it, oh yeah, next to it was the huge grinder one that I don't have room for on my bench, and it was much more expensive, much heavier, and it said best on the top of the tag. So you have the, the cheaper it'll get the job done, you have better, and you have best. And if you look around Harbor Freight, just about every product has those options uh, with, with the prices that follow. Um, so the, the preacher of the Hebrews, as he opens this sermon, continues to show the church that Jesus is better and he's not just better, but he is the best. Um, and you, you, can, you can almost picture this, this author, this preacher, uh, preaching to this, this audience, and he's continually sort of putting his hands on their face and, and, and turning their face when they're so distracted with the uncertainties, the opposition, the fear, saying, no, look here. Look to Jesus. Fix your gaze here. It's It's better. And so he wants them to see Jesus as uh, the superior, the final word, to see Jesus as even superior to the angelic hosts. He's better. He's the best. He's even superior, worthy of more honor than Moses. Now that's going to get their attention, at least for a few more minutes in this sermon. Um, and maybe, maybe you need to hear this morning why Jesus is better than anyone or anything that is pulling your heart away. It's pulling at you. Um, the preacher is not going to let us forget who we are as part of the family of God, who Jesus is, what that means for us going forward. Um, in verse 1 here, it, it says flat out, consider Jesus. And, and consider there is the imperative. That's the command language of this whole section. Not just when you get around to it. Hey, if you get a chance, you, know, you might want to think about Jesus. If you have an opportunity, no, no, no. That's not the thrust here. It is consider Jesus. Pay attention. Look. Focus. Meditate on Jesus. And even the way uh, verse 1 opens, it begs us to consider who it is we are. And so I want to use that, that command language. Allow the command to consider to shape the way we look at these verses. Consider yourself, consider Jesus, and consider your confidence and hope. And it's easy for us to gloss over it, but the chapter opens by reminding this young church to consider who they are. 
the very, the very gospel of, of Jesus Christ, believing in him, believing in his redeeming work, desiring after him in dependence and obedience, that, that changes things. It changes things in us. It changes things in us as, as people. It's transformational. So much so that it gives us a new identity. And this is an identity that all believers share. Uh, I think of his letter to the Galatians. Paul says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, uh, which is the law, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And later when Peter writes, early Christians, he gives a strong reminder of this new identity. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into light. That is who you are. And so with these two words in verse 1, holy brethren, holy brothers and sisters, we're reminded that the church, past, the church right now, present and future, has been set apart by God. Set apart by Him, set apart for Him. We are holy saints in the household of God. This is where some of you are thinking, you know, Brad, I don't feel a whole lot like a saint. Um, there's some ugliness in my heart and life that God certainly knows, but nobody else does. Saint's probably not the word that I would use to describe myself. Um, or maybe, you know, Brad, you were at our house this morning before worship. There ain't no saints coming out the door. Um, but, but I'm here to tell you that through, through God's word, that there were saints coming out the door of your house. When you, look into, when you look into the mirror in your bathroom at home, you may see some things that you like and you don't like, but when you look into the mirror of the Bible, there is a holy one, a saint looking back at you. I'm looking at saints in the sanctuary of God. Now, we're all growing in holiness. We're all growing into our holiness um, we're not fully uh, we're, we're saints who are not yet fully sanctified right um, but if you look at Christ with eyes of faith your sins atoned for robed in his righteousness then you are holy brothers and sisters um, Paul opens several of his letters this way to the saints in Ephesus, or uh, to the saints and faithful brethren of the church in Colossa. Uh, so those in the church, visible and invisible, considered saints. I think saint is used over 50 times in the New Testament in describing the identity of believers. So holy brothers and sisters who share a heavenly or divine calling I think many times we hear that, that language of calling. We're thinking about our, our calling as Christians as disciples, uh, discipling the nations. Or maybe we're thinking more specifically on our uh, special callings, our occupations in which uh, we serve the Lord. And calling can certainly be used those ways. But here, here it's something weightier. Here it's something of much more grandeur. When we talk about the heavenly calling. Uh, we share a, a divine destination. Uh, a heavenly glory that is ours forever. Um, 
as holy ones, we belong to the Holy One. The One who calls us forever. We share in a divine calling. Maybe you hear the invitation that comes along with that. That goes with the identity of being a saint. There's an invitation to live out this sainthood. An invitation to live in obedience uh, to God as we make our way to that celestial city on the horizon. It's a heavenly calling that, that beckons us, moves us down this path of uh, holiness until Jesus himself uh, takes us uh, to him in that place that he has prepared. So whatever it is that you are pursuing, whatever it is uh, you believe the Lord has called you to in this week, in this month, in this lifetime, it is, it is supporting and obedient to this heavenly calling. Uh, a calling that we share. Um, that's, that's a pretty intense identity. Um, a family identity that we have. Um, now I don't want you to, to presume upon this. Don't presume it's somehow automatic. Um, you know, just because we come into the church for worship a few times a month, um, sainthood is not automatically conferred. Actually, I looked it up in the Roman Catholic Church. There's at least a five-step process to sainthood. Uh, there's an application that must be filled out uh, of, of, of for yourself or for another that it's worthy of emulation uh, before God. And that goes before the, the congregation. The it's called it the congregation for the cause of saints. And then a miracle, you know, must be confirmed through a person's uh, life in order to confer heaven. Uh, upon this one who might be a saint. Uh, but brothers and sisters, you don't need to submit an application. Um, not for yourself, not for anyone else. On this journey, on this road to sainthood, you know, thinking that you or someone else is somehow qualified as a model Christian to be emulated. Um, the saint, the holy one, is head of this family. And he's gone before us. Um, this saint shares our human experience. He's the only one qualified uh, to restore our honor and to restore our glory before God. All consecrated through his suffering. So we, we venerate and we adore but one in the church. And that is our elder brother. Prophet, priest, and King Jesus. Um, so when I address you all as brothers and sisters, um, you need to search, search your heart, even as I address you in that way. Is, is, is that me? Is he talking to me? Are you part of this family? Do you share in the heavenly calling? Look, look to Jesus with eyes of faith. Lay down, lay down everything that you think may qualify you to share this identity. Trust in His qualifications in His sufficiency uh, on your behalf. So we need to hear this. We need to hear this over and over again because it's this identity, a holy, heavenly identity that's bound up in Christ. Uh, we live in union with Him. So even as we consider ourselves, we must consider Jesus. Remember, that's the imperative here. Meditate, focus on Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession who is faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses also 
was faithful in all God's house. An apostle is a messenger, uh, someone who is sent by someone else, someone who is going to represent the one who is sending him or her. It's an apostle. So Jesus is sent of the Father. He represents God the Father uh, to His people. And He's the high priest of our confession. Now He's representing us, He's representing the people before God. Cries out to the Father on our behalf. Jesus is faithful. He believes and trusts in the one who has appointed him, apostle and high priest, just as Moses did. So the titles given to Jesus here could also apply to Moses. The Lord, uh, Moses was a sent one, right? The, the Lord sent Moses to Pharaoh, represented the Lord before him. The Lord sends Moses, his representative before the Egyptians, before the Israelites in the wilderness. I mean, he was literally the glowing apostle, right? Radiating the afterglow of God's glory. And then Moses represented the people before God. Moses comes from the tribe of Levi, so that we, we know there's, there's Old Testament priest lineage there. Okay? But we, we only read this title actually given to Moses one time in Psalm 99. It says, Exalt the Lord our God, worship at His footstool, Holy is he, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also, among those who called upon his name, they called to the Lord and he answered them. So that, that function of the, the priest. Um, calling to the Lord on behalf of his people. Moses enjoyed, he enjoyed a very unique relationship uh, with the Lord God. I'll just read a little bit for you here in Deuteronomy 34. There is not... Arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. It may be easier for us to understand why Moses is held in such high regard by the people of Israel, by the Jewish people, by those who are receiving this message uh, the first time. I mean, Moses is, is revered. The law of God was given through Moses. There are some you know, Jewish traditions where Moses is honored above the angelic beings. Moses was faithful. Jesus was faithful. Here's Numbers chapter 12. A couple of verses. Very likely the passage that the author has in mind as he opens chapter 3 here in Hebrews. And he said, hear my words, if there is a prophet among you, I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision, I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So here Moses' faithfulness as a servant in the house of God. Um, Moses, Moses served the house and, and testified to another prophet, to a word that would be spoken later. Deuteronomy 18, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This is the word of God through Moses. It's to him you shall listen. 
And it goes on to talk about how they could identify a true prophet. And more prophets would come fulfilling this in the life of Israel. But Moses speaks of the Lord Jesus. And if we go to the New Testament, specifically Mark, Mark chapter 9, Moses shows up again in Mark chapter 9. He's got his buddy Elijah with him this time. They're buds. There's like a prophet guild in heaven. Um, and they show up to serve again on a mountain. This time where Jesus is standing and some of Jesus' divine glory is on display in, the, uh, in a way that the disciples can at least live through it. Um, and this is literally their mountaintop experience. Why we use that expression? And they hear a voice coming from a cloud over the mountain. Does that sound familiar at all? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This gives me goosebumps when I read that. So the Lord had, had told his people from a mountain in the wilderness. Now he tells his people again from a mountain in their wilderness wandering, listen to him. And Moses is there both times. You just see Moses? I knew he was going to say that. told you. Why? Because this was the one. Jesus was the prophet that he spoke of. The apostle sent from God. Moses knew the Lord face to face. Jesus is the face of the Lord. Let's go back to, to verse 3 of chapter 1. Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. Jesus is faithful over God's house as a son. And I'll, I'll leave you to check out 1 Chronicles 17. I'm not going to read it uh, aloud this morning. But look at the language that God used in this covenant to, uh, to David. Language of sonship there. Jesus is the, the architect. He's the builder, the presider over this house. Uh, there are a number of things about our house over in uh, Terramount neighborhood that indicate that it's been built pretty well uh, from the type of materials, construction methods, uh, the way things have held up over the last 14, 15 years. Um, some design features we're still scratching our head about a little bit, but, um, but it's built well. And one, one of the reasons why that is the case, maybe it's the main reason, is that the couple we bought the house from, they, they were the builders and it was their son-in-law who built the house for them. And so even after we purchased the house, they said, if you have any problems, you have any questions, here's the number to our son-in-law. Uh, they knew him. They trusted him. They, they more honor for him than they did for the house itself. Uh, he was their son-in-law, but he was their son. Um, Jesus is the faithful son over the house. And Dr. William Lane, he makes a very helpful distinction here. Faithfulness on the part of a servant is required. Faithfulness in a son is an expression of pure love. Servant required. Faithfulness of a son is love. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brother. Jesus loves his house. He's the cornerstone. The whole structure is, is built off of. And all the, the living stones, saints of God, part of this holy temple that He cares for, that He protects. 
So again, the church, visible and invisible, is that house. You are part of that house. The people first hearing this message are a part of that house. Moses, leading the people of Israel who trusted the Lord to deliver, provide for them, are part of that house. Sometimes we've we could change the imagery just a little bit, but you know, this is one house. If, if Old Testament Israel is, is that bud of the flower, then the New Testament church is, is the flower itself. It's one house. Christ is the builder and sustainer of that house. So Jesus is deserving a far greater honor than Moses. So if you want to know Jesus more, if you want help on this journey of faith, fuel for the faith, which we're going to enjoy some more of here in a moment, then you need to be part of this house. And not just coming into a physical building, but identified with and part of of the church. This house full of saints, full of sinners. This is the context that God has designed for us to grow in grace, for us to grow in love. Um, and Jesus continues to build this house. And what, what a great privilege it is for us to be his workers, his ambassadors in sharing the ministry of reconciliation, the mercy and the love that, that he has shown to us. Um, it's faithfulness of Jesus. That, that's the incentive for our own faithfulness in the house of God the basis for our confidence. So we considered ourselves, we considered Jesus. Uh, Consider your confidence and your hope. Um, And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. Um, Again, the, the preacher is not trying to scare this early congregation, this gathering of saints. He's not trying to scare, you. you better hold fast or else. It's not the tone here. The force behind these warnings is meant to encourage and not discourage them. Carefully consider your ways and whether it is you are believing and living into this gospel confession. Take courage. Stay the course. And we're going to hear this again in verse uh, 14, probably next week. For we, have to, for we have to share in Christ if indeed we hold fast our original confidence firm to the end. Take courage in the face of these intimidating circumstances. Um, There is reason for you to be confident. Late 19th century painter, John Singer Sargent, uh, he was considered one of the finest uh, portrait painters of his time. He, He died around 1925, but they estimate he had created some 900 oil paintings, another 2,000 watercolors, also a very good landscape artist. And uh, at one point he painted a very small panel of roses and he considered it to be his best work. I mean, it was just a beautiful, almost perfect representation uh, of these roses. And he was offered time and time again enormous sums of money for this panel of roses. But he never sold it. He said, no, I'm I'm keeping that one. Because there were times when even a prolific painter like Sargent would feel like he wasn't that good of a painter. (laughs) 
or the painting wasn't going very well that he was working on. He says whenever that would happen, he would look at those roses and be reminded, oh, I painted that. Yeah, I, I, I can actually do this. And it would restore his confidence. So what are you, what are you looking at to restore your confidence for the days to come? What are, what are we looking at to replenish hope? C.S. Lewis, I think it was his book, A Grief Observed, where he said this. Reality looked at long enough is unbearable. That that's what we're looking at. Reality looked at long enough is unbearable. So it doesn't matter how optimistic of a person you may be, how cheerful you may be. It doesn't even matter how strong and built up your faith. When you stare at the news threads long enough, uh, the reality of a world gone mad long enough, uh, it shouldn't surprise us that we're discouraged or frustrated or even uh, depressed. I mean, few things are going to zap our confidence and hope in the ongoing restoring work of Christ and just watching and, and listening to this barrage of news feeds all the time. We need to shift our gaze. We need to shift our attention and our focus to where our confidence and hope reside. So with eyes of faith, stare at Christ. Consider the truth and the beauty and the, the love that He has for you. Ponder the humiliation of Jesus, His suffering, and what that means for your suffering in the moment. Ponder his, his exaltation and resurrection, what that means for your suffering in the moment. How much better Jesus is and our inheritance in him. We can hold fast uh, our confidence. Again, I'm not, I don't say this as an escape from reality, but gazing upon Christ allows us to face the reality with confidence and with hope. Um, so hold fast, church family. Hold fast with all confidence and hope to Christ. Um, you know, as we go to the table together, it's fuel for our faith. It's fuel for our confidence. I mean, this meal just holds out the, the hope that is ours in Christ, the atoning work of Jesus. You need a little confidence to stay the course? You come to the table. Celebrate the victory that Christ has won over sin and death and commune with Him. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to wait until we are in glory in heaven to commune with our Savior. Um, he meets us here. He is the, the shepherd of our souls and He's feeding us with more of His grace. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's go to the table together. Lord God, we do praise You that You have sent the Apostle and High Priest your son, who is faithful as your representative, faithful as our representative before you. Lord, what wondrous love it is on behalf of your son to serve you, to serve us. Lord, we thank you for this great gift of love and the faithfulness of Jesus. And Lord Jesus, feed us now we pray with more of yourself.
the manna from heaven, the bread of life, fount of living water. Lord, we come to you uh, assured and confident uh, in you, our hope, for life now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.